Amen. Good morning. It's such an encouragement to me that you are here. Despite it all, God is good. Thankful for you. Thankful that we can sing together. Thanks, Tom, for leading us this morning. So a few months ago, we uh, introduced a new vision statement that said, a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And we as a church, Rimrock Church, we're focused on Jesus. And what we are doing starting a few weeks ago, all the way for months, is we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be looking at Jesus and his vision, his teaching, his instructions for transformation. What is his plan for my life, for your life? Well, it's not cloudy, it's clear, it's crystal clear. And so Jesus is gonna be teaching us about transformation and we're gonna be going through the entire Sermon on the Mount from chapter five of Matthew all the way to chapter seven. And uh, so this, this will be an incredible um, thing for us as we open our hearts and our lives. And uh, you know, I appreciate Tom's song, but my, my prayer is that you wouldn't just stop at the Beatitudes, that you would be willing to memorize even beyond that through the entire Sermon on the Mount. And you may think, what, what are you crazy, Ben? Well, I, I think it's possible. I think you can do it. And I think God's gonna help you. And the reason I wanna challenge us to do this is because Sundays are really special. Like, I, I love this time that we get to spend together in God's word, but it's just such a small amount of time. But if you think about every day, in the car, with your family, at work, you're thinking about different things. What if you're thinking about the words of Jesus and how the Holy Spirit might be applying these words to your life, wherever you're at, throughout the week, is exciting for me as a pastor to think about what God can be doing. And so I would just like to continue to invite you to, to continue to memorize and think and reflect deeply about the words of Jesus. So I believe every person, and I think this is true of me, and I think this would be true of you and everyone else, that we desire happiness. We desire satisfaction. We desire fulfillment. And I think this desire comes from God. I think we were created for that. We want that. And that's a good thing. Um, every day, we are bombarded by scripts or messages about how to experience that. Um, when you turn on the radio, you turn on the TV, as you drive down the road, look at the billboards, or you talk to people, you are being bombarded with messages. And a lot of times we don't think about those messages. We just kind of absorb them all the time. And Jesus has a different script for us. He has a different message for us and a different message so that we can understand God's ways of fulfilling those desires for happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. One of those scripts that um, I think we're bombarded with that comes our way a lot um, has to do with this idea of leadership. Um, I was looking at some statistics and I don't know exactly how accurate this is, but it kind of shocked me that someone said or thought that there were at least four books published a day here in America that had the word leadership in the title. So that tells us something. That tells us people are interested in this topic. And there's a lot of messages out there about leadership. Now, as I share about this, know that there is a good side 
to leadership. There's something honorable and good about taking responsibility and caring for others and seeking to serve others. So there's a good side to leadership. But I know, you know, there's also a deep, dark side to leadership. And a lot of times this is the message and this is what's happening in the hearts of many people in our culture. And here's, here's how I will um, kind of define what that dark side, it's, it's this striving, this desire to be on top, to be better than others, to achieve a name or recognition for ourselves. Now, I think this dark side of leadership isn't just somewhere out there, it's here in my heart, in your heart, all of our hearts. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet says, the human heart is deceptive above all else. And one of the reasons this dark side of leadership is so pervasive is that we've we've received this idea or this script that somehow if we're a leader, if we're in charge, if we have control, if we have power, if we have a name that is recognized, then somehow that will bring happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. We know, I know, the reality of that dark side of leadership causes harm. It causes hurt. Whether you have experienced that by being used, abused, run over, that someone's attempted to control you or force something on you, you know the wounds that that causes in the human heart. I've experienced that. And I believe many of you have experienced that. And we've experienced that in many different places. Even in church, we've seen that. We've seen that in our homes. We've seen that in our workplaces where people have selfish ambitions and in their ambition to have control or power, they run over and use with their own agendas and their own interests for advancement. And so we see this dark side of leadership. We see this message that is continually around us that we just absorb all the time and as it creeps into our churches, our business, our families, even our governments, we see this desire for control and power and domination over others. So what do we do in a culture consumed and preoccupied with leadership when Jesus emphasized just the opposite, servanthood? (laughs) Jesus totally flips the script. He, He changes the ideal. Uh, We see this in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew later after the Sermon on the Mount where um, the disciples are realizing, man, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He is the Son of God and he's coming to establish his kingdom. And they're thinking, man, how do we position ourselves so we can be in charge with him? And so they're fighting about who's going to sit on his right, who's going to sit on his left. So the, the dark side of leadership, it's in the disciples, right? And you see them struggling. I see this as a dad every day as I get in my car with my kids. (laughs) They're like, I want to sit in this seat. No, I want to sit in this seat, right? It's it's pervasive. But listen to the words of Jesus. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Jesus is 
presenting a whole nother way of living, of thinking, of doing. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? And we're going to be in verse 5, but uh, I'm going to back up as we look at these statements of blessing of Jesus. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then today's verse that we're going to be looking at, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Both Bill and Nick the last few weeks have focused on this word blessed. And I want to I want to stay there. And throughout this whole message of Jesus, if we, if we skip over this word, we're going to miss the whole point. And so what is Jesus inviting us to? And when he says, blessed, blessed. And as we've already stated, but I'm going to stay again, this word is not based on circumstances. We think about blessed a lot of times on what happens to us, how things are going, if we get a raise or if things go the way we think they should go. But that is not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about here, he's inviting us into a new kind of life. A new kind of being. New kind of being. We call ourselves human beings. (laughs) What Jesus is saying here is he's inviting us to be Jesus beings. Because this word blessed, not only as, as people, but also that true blessedness, true happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. That God himself is the source of blessing. This is radical. This is life changing. (laughs) If we think and consider what Jesus is saying, he is saying that he himself is the source of blessing and it only in existing in him and being with him and and being in him that we can experience this blessing this treasure janet stewart has a great quote she says joy is not the absence of suffering but the presence of god she's describing what jesus is saying That even if everything is going wrong, even if your life is suffering, if you are in the presence of God, you have joy. You have everything. Jesus himself is enough for us to be. And so even in mourning, even in poverty, even in meekness, we can be fully satisfied. We can be fully fulfilled as people. That is what Jesus is inviting us to. I love what the psalmist says, who have I in heaven but you? And on earth, nothing, nothing that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, God is my strength and he is my portion forever. Can we say that this morning, that God is enough, that he is our portion? That is the invitation of Jesus. The invitation to the blessed life. And so Jesus, as he declares this, I think there's two aspects. There's the first aspect that we've just talked about. But the second aspect of blessing is that because Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God, the government, the rule, the reign, the will, and the action of God here on earth near to us, he is now introducing us to a new value system. A new way of thinking and a new way of behaving. And so 
there's two things going on here as he declares blessing. He's declaring blessing in Jesus in our new being, but also in a new way of living, a new way of thinking. And so we recognize that even in poverty that there's true riches in the kingdom. And even in mourning there's true comfort in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And so because of the nearness of, king, of the kingdom of God, we can begin to experience this new value, new way of living now. <laughs> this isn't, Jesus isn't talking about someday after we die. He's talking about right now. It's present tense. This is to be experienced in our lifetime. So blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So I don't use the word meek every day, and I would guess many of you don't use this word every day. Um, if you look up the Greek word and the definition, there, there's several words that give us a hint of what he's talking about. Mild, gentle, humble. These are all words that have been translated, but don't quite capture it all, but give us clues about what meek means. I think there's also a sense of meekness, of lowliness. Lowliness. I want to read a, a definition from a commentary that was helpful for me. Meekness, according to the Bible, is being humble and gentle towards others and willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. Do you see there's two aspects here? There's both in our relationship to God and our relationship to others. It is not being selfish and arrogant and loud or obnoxious. Rather, it's having a quiet and confident trust in the Lord and being willing and able to do what he commands. In regards to how a meek person would treat others, they would definitely be humble and gentle, both in their words and their actions. I think that's a great description. So this morning, I want to focus on three aspects of meekness that I think Jesus is talking about here. And, and, and by the way, to understand this, we have to look at the person of Jesus because he embodies meekness. <laughs> he embodies what it means to be meek. He is the perfect example. And so we, as we look at these three things, we're thinking about Jesus and how he exhibited this and how this can look like in our lives as well. Three things, trusting, filling, and relating. Trusting, filling, and relating. So let's talk about trusting. How did Jesus exhibit this? He exhibited this in an absolute trust in God his Father. Even though he was the Son and he was God, he had this dynamic, beautiful, dependent relationship on the Father and on the Holy Spirit. And so we see in Jesus a total dependence and a total trust in his Father. I like what Brennan Manning describes trust as, as ruthless trust. <laughs> it's, it's a tenacious holding on to the goodness and the sovereignty of God and believing that he will do as he has promised. I remember as a, a college student, I went to a school in Chicago and once a week we would have uh, uh, speakers come from all over the country and share. And, and a few years ago, someone asked me, Ben, what are some of the most impactful sermons uh, that you've heard? And I immediately thought of this one week in Chicago where a woman named Elizabeth Elliot came to share with us. Some of you know that name, some of you don't. But she was probably in her late 70s, older, very plain, very simple. But as she spoke, we were gripped. This room filled with college students was riveted 
to what she was saying and the power of what she was communicating to us that day. Some of you know that name, but others don't. She was a young uh, wife and mom. Her husband, Jim Elliott, went to Ecuador and they felt called to bring the message of Jesus to tribal Native American people in Ecuador. And as they began their work there, they realized that there was another tribe called the Waldani not far from where they were living that had been totally uncontacted. No one had ever gone to share the name of Jesus with these people. And Jim and Elizabeth and four other men and their wives felt consumed and impassioned by God that they needed to go and share the grace and the love and the hope of Jesus Christ with these people. So Jim and four other men uh, developed a plan and began to make contact with this tribe. And this tribe was known as being violent and, and, and very hostile to outsiders, but they began to send gifts and build relationships some, and they made contact. But there was a conflict in the tribe, and because of that, um, they got caught in the middle of that, and this tribe came out with their warriors, and they speared these five young men to death in the middle of the Amazon. So you can imagine Elizabeth Elliot a young woman with a young child, what she went, might have experienced in that moment. And this is what she says. And I learned in that experience who God is in a way I could never have known otherwise. And so I say to you that suffering is an irreplaceable medium through which I learned an indispensable truth. God is God. He's told us enough so we can know that suffering is never for nothing. I think she exhibits a meekness there and absolute trust in God, even in a horrible situation. But that trust didn't end just with a peace knowing that Jim and those other men were in the presence of God. It resulted in her and one of the brothers of the men, Rachel Saint, to go back to the very people that had speared their husband and brother to death and they went back to live among those people and they shared the forgiveness and the grace and the love of God. And I had a chance to go down there and I met the men who had speared these missionaries to death. And each one, there was five of them, they stood up and they said, Jesus has changed my life. Before I was angry, I was violent, I had no hope in my heart, but now today because of Jesus, I have peace, I have joy, and I have love in my heart. Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint exhibited a ruthless trust in God. They knew that they could submit to the will and the glory of God because it produced in them perseverance and strength no matter what the circumstances. They had this absolute confidence that God was good and that he was gonna carry out his plan of redemption in their lives and in others' lives. That is meekness. The second aspect of meekness is filling. The filling. Now, here's the good news. As Jesus declares this blessing to us, he's not expecting us to somehow produce this on our own. <laughs> he's not saying, you know, make this happen. Work this out in your life. He's saying, I am the source of this. And so we need to understand meekness 
in the context of filling. Later in Jesus' ministry, as he's with his disciples, he promises them, I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. I am going to give you the very presence and power that is with me is going to be with you as you walk out your faith and trust in God. And so we are called and we have received the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. God is with us. He has not left us alone and he provides everything we need. He fills us up. And so when we hear this invitation to meekness, we hear that it's possible because the Holy Spirit has filled us. And the third aspect of meekness is relating. Relating. The first two allow this to be a reality. Because we trust in God and because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can relate to other people in a new and different way. It allows us to see and treat people as people to be loved, to be served. So we can look at stories like Elizabeth Elliot and think, man, that's, that's way out there. I'm not like that at all. <laughs> but here's the good news. The Bible makes this very clear. There are no super Christians. There's no super spiritual people. We are only Christians. We are only called to follow Jesus. We are only called to be his disciples. We all have the same resources. We have the same God, the same presence, the same everything. Not all of us will go across the world to tell Jesus, talk about Jesus with other people, but all of us are called to relate to people. You have people in your life that God has placed in your life. Some of you um, are single, but you have parents. Many of you are married, you have a spouse, you have a husband or wife. Most of you go to work and you have coworkers. You have bosses, you have people you see every day in your neighborhood, in the park. And so, as we think about meekness, this changes the way we see those people in your life every day. Because the dark side of, of what the script and the message of the world is that people a lot of times are problems or objects or things that we need to control or fix or use for our own desires. But, but Jesus is inviting us to a new way of seeing people as people who we can love and serve. That's why Jesus says the Gentiles, they lord it over each other, but you are called to serve. <laughs> You're called to bless and to make other people's lives better. Where I saw this worked out and modeled was in my grandparents. My grandparents uh, did amazing things, but what impacted me most was not the things they did, but who they were in their older years, as they grew older, and my grandfather got Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease, I saw the promise and the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus to produce meekness in the midst of that. Because in their later years, they served and they loved on each other with joy and patience and gentleness and humility. And all of us kids or grandkids and kids and people who came in contact with them saw the power of what Jesus has promised and what he can do in our lives. We saw it modeled. We saw meekness and it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And so this is possible. This is possible in your marriage. This is possible with your kids. This is possible with your parents. This is possible with your coworkers because of the resource that we have in Jesus that he, we can trust him and he will fill us and enable us to do this. Let's look at a few minutes at the promise. Blessed are the meek, for they 
will inherit the earth. One of the heresies that um, Satan has continually attacked the church, and he attacks us today just as much as in the New Testament, but we're so, I'm so grateful that the Bible is very crystal clear on this subject. There's this heresy called Gnosticism. And basically, it's a heresy, it's a false teaching that says spiritual things are good and physical things are bad. The Bible says that is wrong. The Bible begins with the message that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see, the Bible says God created and is good. He made it. And he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy the earth, his creation. And so the Bible is very clear that physical things are not bad. Rather, they're good. And God is not only saving us spiritually, he is saving us physically. And this is very clear in the gospel message because Jesus was crucified physically, but he rose from the dead physically. He came out of the grave and the disciples could touch him. He could eat with them. And that is so important for us to realize that God's plan of salvation is not just some super spirituality. It is a physical redemption, a physical salvation. But a lot of times we confuse the physical with what God's purpose for it is. In Romans chapter 1 it says, in people's sinfulness and depravity we've exchanged worship of the creator for created things. And this, this gets out of whack in our world, in our lives, and that's why we see so much destruction. But what Jesus is doing is he's changing the order so that when we understand a right relationship with God and right worship, and then we, in a sense, lose our lives, Jesus says, then we will gain it. If we become last, then we become first. So then we can actually enjoy and delight in the things that God has made. And we see this in this promise that we will inherit the earth. Our trust in God allows us to enjoy the things he has created, the things of life, without guilt, shame, or fear. There's freedom <laughs> to enjoy what God has made. And we don't see those things as ultimate things. Creation, food, sex, drink, beauty, all of these things become things that we enjoy in the purpose and the plan and the glory of God. This is God's way and this is God's gift to his people. And second, the Holy Spirit enables us to experience the things of earth in the way God intended them to be, with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. <laughs> the Spirit is producing these things in our lives as we live on this earth. And thirdly, our relationships instead of being a source of pain and hurt, become a source of joy and richness. The, the, the beauty of life is that we enjoy these, these beautiful relationships with people that are no longer objects or obstacles or projects. Rather, they are children of God. Rather, we are called to treat them as mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and as friends because we now see the value and the worth of every person. And this allows us to be gentle and patient and not have to get our way, but really to seek to make their lives better, to serve others. Do you, do you see what, God, what God's inviting us to? <laughs> it's beautiful. A new way of blessing, a new source of blessing, and a new way to inherit the earth in meekness.
we're gonna celebrate communion. And so the servers are gonna come. And this is such an important reminder to us of where this comes from, of how we can experience this, that Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose again. And so what I'm gonna ask is they pass this on, you're gonna take the, the little cracker and you're gonna take the cup and hold on to it and we'll take it all together.